Hi everybody and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is the 1st of January 2022. My name is Maria F and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland and I'm your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Sue L and Nancy J. If you've any questions or any concerns during the meeting please contact either myself or the co-host and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that our speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session which follows will not be recorded. And we'll post a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function and for our second edition. We ask that if you could please keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also, if you need to step away from the screen to exercise or if you're eating, um, please do disconnect your camera. So we'll now go to Harlan G. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning. Thank you, Maria. And thank you to all of you who do service. By the way, just in case you're wondering, there are a lot of people who do service at this meeting besides me. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that keep this going, that make sure that we have the Zoom room available to us. This is not free. This is not you know, something that's given to us by the Zoom people. And there are people who handle different things. And, and so I want to thank each and every one of you. Uh, before I say a word, I want to say to each and every one of you, happiest and most bountiful new year. I hope that each and every one of you will have a wonderful, wonderful recovered year this year. And that you will grow in your recovery closer to God and further away from a Twinkie. So I hope that for each and every one of you. Um, we have been studying the foreword to the second edition of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we're going to go over some things today that are going to be somewhat controversial, if you will. They're going to be a little, they're going to be a little controversial. And we are going to be on the bottom of page XIX. XIX is 19 in Roman numerals. XIX at the very bottom, it says, while the internal difficulties, and I'll give you a second to get to it. And while we are getting to that, we have been talking about the formation of the book through the Rockefellers, through the various attempts that these guys made to do three things. And they wanted to raise a bunch of money and thank God they couldn't and didn't, but they wanted to do three things. And the three things that they wanted to do most of all were, they wanted to start a chain of hospitals. In the 1930s, chains of drugstores, chains of grocery stores, chains of gas stations, what have you, were first starting to emerge within the country. And I know some of you live in a different country, but in America, these chains were starting out and they wanted to start a chain of hospitals. Now, why would they wanna start a chain of hospitals? I'll explain. The first thing we have to remember about the 1930s is that at that time, it was most difficult to get a patient admitted just for the treatment of alcoholism. Most hospitals did not want patients that only had alcoholism. The reasons were, A, the alcoholics almost never did what you told them to do. When you told them to stop drinking and you told them to eat and you told them to take care of themselves, they didn't do it. And number two, there's another thing that alcoholics generally don't do well, and that is they don't pay their bills. So it was very difficult to get an alcoholic admitted to a hospital at that time. So what the doctors often had to do was lie. And they would say gastritis and they would say uh, all, you know, kidney or they would say liver or they would say distended liver. And sometimes more often than not, those conditions were true. But the real problem of the patient was alcoholism. And so they, they had a lot of problems. Now, who was going to be the head of these hospitals? You guessed it, Dr. Bob. He was going to head up 
all these various hospitals that they envisioned would spring up all over the United States. You have to remember that these guys were broke and they were looking maybe to make some dough. Thank God for Dr. Bob. Thank God for God. And thank God for the Rockefeller Foundation that they didn't bankroll this Narishkeit. And for those who are new, Narishkeit is foolishness in Yiddish. So the chain of hospitals never occurred. Now, the next thing that they were going to do, and this was going to be headed up by Bill Wilson, he was going to be the head missionary. They were going to start a, a chain of missionaries that were going to go out to Chicago and Philadelphia and Toronto and Montreal and Miami and you name it and Denver. And they were gonna go all over the country and all over Canada. They didn't see much beyond that at that time. They were gonna go all over the United States and all over Canada. And they were gonna have missionaries that would spread the word of the Alcoholics Anonymous Treatment Program or Recovery Program is more accurate. That didn't happen. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Now, the third thing that they wanted to do was they wanted to write a book. And thank God that that did happen. So two out of the three things didn't happen. But the most important thing did happen. And that is the writing of the book. And then on April the 10th, 1939, the book rolled off the printer's thing. And we have in our hands, there were 4,000 copies, 4,600 copies of the first edition, first printing. I have one. And that when I go, I left it to my sponsor. He lives in Los Angeles. I left it to him. It's a, it's a one, one, it's a first edition, first printing. And I have another first edition, but it's the 15th printing of the first edition. I have that one. And I have, so I have two first editions. I haven't decided who I'm going to leave the other one to, um, but it will, it will be something I'll, I'll kind of think about over the next while here. But anyway, that aside, um, we have the writing of the book. Now let's go to page XIX or 19 in Roman numerals, 19 in Roman numerals. And we're going to start with at the very bottom of the page, very bottom of the page, while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out. Let's stop there for just a minute. This is some things, this is stuff we talked about last week, but we're going to do it again. Just for the sake of continuity, we're going to do this again. The big book was written and published or printed in 1939. And most of the AA literature is a product of the 50s and the 60s. The 12 and 12 is a product of the 50s. Most of the pamphlets are products of the 50s and the 60s. The page again is, we're at the top of XX. The top of XX, very first few words of XX. So the adolescent period of AA was very critical and AA was blowing apart. You had Hank Parkhurst, who was instrumental in the printing of the book, in the writing of the book. As a matter of fact, on Walnut Street in Newark, New Jersey, that's Walnut Street in Newark, New Jersey, 17 Walnut, that's where most of the book was typed by Ruth Hock. There was a business that Hank started and it was called Honor Dealers. And Honor Dealers were, were, uh, was a company that sold automobile polish. In those days, people would polish their cars. They didn't have the kind of car washes that we have today. So I got to be uh, frank and honest with you. I don't sit out on a Sunday and polish my car. I wouldn't anyway. I'm not that ambitious. I'm a lazy bum and I'm not going to do that. But when the car gets absolutely gross or when I have people coming in from out of town, either from Chicago or God knows where, usually Chicago, I'll drive it over to the uh, car wash over here near Walmart. I'll run it through 
And that's what I do. I don't sit and do that. But anyway, Honor Dealers, they sold automobile polish. And there were three employees of Honor Dealers. There was Hank Parkhurst, there was Bill Wilson, who was in charge of sales, and there was Jimmy Burwell. And Jimmy Burwell would become the atheist of the group. And Jimmy Burwell's influence on the book and on the fellowship are quite profound. Where you see the insistence of God as you understand God, this is not just Ebby telling this to Bill in Bill's story. This is the tremendous influence of Jimmy Burwell. And Jimmy Burwell was an atheist and his very good friend Fitz Mayo, and they were, they're buried right near one another. They're buried quite close to one another. They were very good friends, but Fitz was a rather religious guy. He actually wanted a more religious book. And Jimmy Burwell, his good friend, would not hear of that. Jimmy Burwell, along with Clarence Snyder, were also two early people who had very serious personality conflicts with Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson and Jimmy Burwell, don't invite them to the same party. But if you look on page 219, you don't have to do it now. It says the vicious cycle and the vicious cycle is the story of Jimmy Burwell. And he was the atheist in the group at the very beginning. Cause you have to remember boys and girls, Ebby was out getting drunk by this time. By September of 35, Ebby had already started drinking again. And Ebby would go in and come out and go in and come out and go in and come out. He died in Boston Spa, New York, uh, with five years of sobriety. He was living in Dallas, Texas at that time. Maybe one day, I don't know that we'll have time, but maybe one day we'll take a departure from the book and we'll talk about Ebby and we'll talk about some of the personalities, some of the guys and give maybe a little history of their biographies and stuff. Some of them are very interesting, very, very colorful characters. Uh, you know, we say, oh, the big book of AA is like a Bible and it's holy and it's, you know, all this stuff. Well, let me just assure you that the, the guys uh, and Marty Mann, the gal, the, the guys who were heavily heaviest, uh, who influenced the book, the heaviest were anything but holy guys. They were very, very human. They were very, very alcoholic. And they did the things that human beings do. And they did the things that alcoholics do. Maybe one day we'll, we'll put that on the schedule. But for right now, we'll just continue out. We're at the top of page XX, and we're going to continue by just saying that in the adolescent period of AA, you had Hank Parkhurst. Hank fell in love with Ruth Hawk, although he was married. Bill and Hank were married, but uh, Hank had a big crush on Ruth Hawk. And when the book had been printed, it hadn't been printed more than a, while, a little while, weeks, months, a month or two. He asked Ruth to run away with him. He said, I'll go divorce my wife and I'll let's, let's you and I run away together. And she said, no way, I'm not doing that. And he concluded that the only reason on God's earth that any woman would reject him is because she's involved with Bill Wilson. And she was not involved with Bill Wilson. Uh, she was not. But he took this as an affront that Bill would move in on his girl, that Bill would move in on his, his, the object of his affection. And Bill knew about his feelings toward Ruth. Uh, Bill was aware of the fact that Hank had feelings for Ruth. And Bill said, Hank, I have, I, I'm married, I've got low, I, 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 I don't, I, I'm really not stepping on your toes here, big guy, I'm really not. But the crazy redhead went up and down the eastern seaboard during the 1940s, and he told groups, don't send your money into AA, that Bill Wilson is a crook, and he's a womanizer, and he's a liar, and he's a thief, and he's a terrible, terrible person. 
and the group, some of them didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to make of this information because they figure here's Hank Parkhurst. I mean, forget the fact that he's probably drunk, but here's a guy that's been in with these guys from the beginning. Maybe his information is correct. And they didn't know what the heck to do. And you've got him going up and down the Eastern seaboard doing this kind of stuff. So that adolescent period was quite challenging. Now in 1945, as we talked about last week, if you go back to last week, or you were, if you were here, great. If you don't, if you weren't, you can go back to the recording of it. We talked about the formation of the traditions. In 1945, Bill realized him and Bob were not going to be around forever, and they were not going to be able to govern the direction of AA because it was getting, you know, you had the group in Akron, you had the group in New York. Now you've got a group in in uh, a group in Canada that Dave B started. Archie Throwbridge started it in in Detroit, Michigan. You've got people going down to Miami to starts a group. You've got Fitz Mayo starts the group in Washington D.C. So it's now starting to grow. It's now starting to propagate. And as God would have it in His infinite wisdom, the more it grew the more it grew. You've got Jack Alexander's article coming out, 8,000 more inquiries into the little office about the book. Now you've got other publications singing the praises of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God they did. But Bill knew and Bob knew this is going to need some navigational tool, some navigational body to steer it off the rocks and in the right direction. And in 1945, amidst a lot of turmoil, amidst a lot of craziness, you have in the Grapevine magazine, 1945, the, <clears throat> the first publication, that, what is Grapevine, before I move on, because some of you may not know, Grapevine has been the monthly magazine of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they publish a magazine every month. Now we have a magazine that we no longer publish on paper. It's called The Lifeline. And I've been published in Lifeline. And I assume some of you have read Lifeline. I assume some of you are aware of Lifeline, but Lifeline is a publication that comes out once a month in OA, and it doesn't come out in printed form any longer. It comes out online because it was too expensive to print, so they stopped doing it. They stopped printing it. But 1945, Grapevine, I think it was February of 45, Bill Wilson is now starting a series of articles on what we would later refer to as the traditions. And those traditions stand today as the governing body and they will be the last word. If anything we're doing as a group is in conflict with those traditions, we yield to the tradition. We do not yield to the autonomy of the group if the autonomy is in conflict with the rest of the tradition. So if a group said you had to be Christian or if a group said you had to be Jewish or Muslim or whatever it is to be a member, we would say, no, that's not right. I hope that makes sense. So if anything, yes, we have autonomy for tradition, guarantees our autonomy. Each meeting is autonomous. It's always fun to watch new people trying to pronounce autonomous. It's always, I, I like it too. I enjoy it too. But the bottom line is, is that we have the traditions as our governing sort of last resort. Very, very important that we have them and we have the concepts. Okay. For the, uh, uh, being ironed out, acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. And we've always already talked about that for there were two principal reasons, the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. What is the most important way to spread information about a product or a concept or a service? Word of mouth. Hey, this worked for me. Hey, this is fantastic. 
hey, my husband, my wife, my kid, my mother, my father, my whoever, neighbor, whatever, was is alcoholic. And they went to this group and the group really helped them and they no longer drink and they're back home and they're whatever. And so we have a lot of wonderful, wonderful testimonials about the extreme effectiveness of the group Alcoholics Anonymous. Now let's continue. These made their impressions everywhere of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. Now that's the kicker and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Now, let's take that apart. By my reckoning, and boy, if you know me, you know I'm no math whiz, that's for sure. Whoa, whoa. Mrs. Leonard in math or high school and algebra made a deal with my mother in the hallway of Mather. She would pass me, provided I took a blood oath not to take any more math classes. Now, little did I know after swearing that I would do that, that the, they, I had to take geometry or I couldn't get a high school diploma. So I had to take geometry. But anyway, Mrs. Leonard told my mother and showed my mother his arithmetic is terrible. She, she, he showed my mother where I added six and eight and came up with three different answers to six and eight. Now, I think it's 14, but I put 17, 16, and 14 as three different answers to eight plus six. And that's typical of the way my brain works. My brain is not a mathematical brain. Facts and figures, restaurants in Chicago, uh, I, I'm your guy, cartoon characters, shows from the 60s, wrestling, the Three Stooges, I am your guy. The Honeymooners, I'm your guy. But not math, not arithmetic. Please don't ask me those questions. But anyway, this looks like 75% recovery. Now, we can't talk about 75% recovery in OA today, and they can't talk about 75% recovery in AA today. There isn't a 12-step program of which I'm aware of that can claim 75% recovery. But what we can look at is our numbers are really low compared to that. And I think that some of it is the nature of this addiction. Now, what I'm giving you right now is opinion. I want to predicate. I want to tell you on no uncertain terms. What I'm about to tell you is my opinion. You are encouraged, you are, you are applauded, you are righteous and smart to take it for what it is as an opinion. This is my opinion. Not diminishing alcoholism, not diminishing drug addiction, sex addiction, love addiction, not to diminish gambling, not to diminish any other vice or addiction known to man. I believe, this is my opinion, that food is the most vicious addiction there is because I'm not diminishing anything. I'm not saying it, it ransacks your life any more or less. I'm not saying that. Alcoholism is a horrible nightmare. In Yiddish, we would say it's an umglik. An umglik is a curse. It's bad luck. But food is different in this respect. Maybe I shouldn't say it's the worst. It's different. It's a unique beast. In Alcoholics Anonymous and in Gamblers Anonymous, in Narcotics Anonymous, everything is extremely clear cut. You do not smoke weed. You do not take meth. You do not take lewds. You do whatever it is you do. You don't do it anymore. It's done. You don't drink liquor, you don't gamble, you don't play the lottery, you don't, you don't buy parlay cards, you just don't do that. With food, it's a changing liquid situation relative to the food. Yes, 
I, I'm talking about me now. I'm not talking about you. Please don't assail me later in questions and answers and say, I can eat flour. I can eat sugar. I can eat artificial sweetener. I can eat, you know, leg of uh, yak. Great. Those are fantastic things. I'm glad you can do that. I can't. So here's what I have. I have a clear cut line of demarcation. I can't eat sugar. I can't eat flour. I can't eat fried foods. I can't eat dairy. I can't eat certain fruits and certain vegetables. But to get to where I am today took a metamorphosis. The, the abstinence or the food plan rather, not the abstinence, the food plan that I have today is radically different than the one I had five years ago. Five years ago, I could eat grapes. Five years ago, I could eat bananas, dairy, yogurt is dairy, dairy, I could eat uh, whatever, cherries. I can't eat those things anymore. I can't eat those things anymore. So my food plan as I age, and I'm 67 going on eight mentally, but I'm 67 physically going on eight mentally, my food plan is a different food plan than it was three years ago, five years ago, or 20 years ago. I have 23 years abstinent, but the abstinence has evolved and changed and metamorphosized. I hope that's, I hope that made that really clear. What you can eat is up to you. What you can eat is not for me to pass judgment on, and I don't care. I don't care. But here's the other reason that our numbers are lower, and that is something that is our fault, not the nature of the addiction. What I believe is our fault is we dilute the recovery in our zeal to overcomplicate things, in our zeal to give credence to more is better. We now have this 12 and 12 and that book and that workbook and that this and that that. I believe this is, again, my opinion. Do not assail me when we're, when we're in questions and answers. I'm telling you, this is my opinion. It is not verifiable in the big book because when the big book was written, there were no competing publications. We have, in my opinion, too much, too much. And it's confusing to people. You can't work the steps out of the AA 12 and 12. The instructions for the steps are in the big book and they've never been anywhere else. And you have OA publications and you have this publication. And when it comes to step four, good Lord in heaven, we have created a cottage industry. You've got this guy's sheets and that guy's workbook and this guy's this and this guy's got a, a handout and a, a, a pamphlet and a booklet. Good Lord, these people are making hundreds of millions of dollars off of our addicted backs with a cottage industry when the instructions for it are right in the big book. The columns are free. You just need some paper and a pencil. Oh, that's all you need. Heck, a Baylor fan could figure that out. And the bottom line is, is that <laughs> the bottom line is, is that you have a situation where sometimes too much is not good. Don't you dare assail me in questions and answers because I told you up front, this is my opinion. Now I'm going to give you something else that's my opinion. Some of you are going to like it. Some of you are not. We got to do a better job, not just with our own recovery. We've got to do a better job of reaching people. And how do we reach people? By recovering. We have failed the African-American community. We have let them down. We have failed the Asian community. We have failed the Hispanic community. Yes, there are good things happening. Oh, there definitely are. And I have spoken on some of those Spanish conventions and Spanish retreats and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. Yeah, there's some good things happening, but we need to do better. We have failed the community of people who have persuasions and appetites different from the mainstream. We have failed them. 
We have failed the Native American community where obesity and diabetes are ransacking their communities. We have failed them. I have spoken in front of thousands of people in my day. I have spoken at conventions in big cities where there are large minority populations. And I have spoken at conventions that were a thousand or 1200 or whatever they were. You see a handful of people of color. Count them on both two hands, you're more than covered. We've got to do a better job. We've got to do a better job of reaching communities that have in the past been underserved by this magical message that we have. One of the things I'm most proud of is my pride in telling you, please sign up for the OA birthday. We will be meeting next week, but we are not meeting on the 15th. I don't want to divert you from the birthday. I want you to go to the birthday. And that's the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Now, at every meeting of the birthday this year, for the very first time, there will be Spanish translators. And no matter what anybody is talking about, it'll be translated on a track for the Spanish community. And I'm very proud of that. How do I sign up for the OA birthday, you ask? Very easy to do. Go to oabirthday.org, oabirthday.org, or go to Los Angeles over Eaters Anonymous, click on birthday, click on registration, and it will walk you through it. It will walk you through it and it will do it in a very easy fashion. It is $30. When you consider how much we spent on Chazerai, what is Chazerai? Chazerai actually means pig stuff, but Chazer means pig. But what it really means is junk, garbage, junk and garbage. My mother saved my report cards and threw out my comic books and threw out my baseball cards because in her words, that's just a bunch of narishka chazarai, which means it's a bunch of foolishness and a bunch of junk. And if I had some of those baseball cards back, and if I had some of those comic books back, I could retire. Believe me, I couldn't. She ruined it. And I blame her for it. And I reason, no, I don't kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take it easy. Take it easy. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, when you consider how much we spent on junk, 30 bucks is not that much. You really want to come to the birthday and the 30 bucks is a little steep for you. Give me a call. Send me a text. I'll, I'll tell you who to get in touch with and we'll see if we can develop a workaround on that. Okay. You might have to do some service. You're going to have to do some service, but we'll see what we can do for that. Okay. Let's move on. So we got 75% recovery. Now, the other thing that happened is the bottoms came up. When you had 75% recovery, you had low bottom people. Marty Mann, low bottom. Bill Wilson, low bottom. What does that mean, low bottom, high bottom? What the hell does that mean? Are we selling boats here? No. We're talking about guys that were bottom of the barrel gutter alcoholics. Today, the ages have come down. The bottoms have come up. More females, more whatever, more young people in AA, and their numbers have dropped off the table. They're not even close to 75%. Just to put it in perspective for you, when I came into OA in 1979, February the 2nd, 1979, Skokie, Illinois. How do you know you're in Skokie? There's a rose and bloom on every corner. Okay, I was in Skokie, Illinois. I went to a meeting at the Orchard Mental Health Center. And at that time, there were 160,000 members of Overeaters Anonymous. I was a delegate to Albuquerque a couple of years ago for two years. I was a delegate to Albuquerque and we were in the mid fifties and dropping. Vision is coming up. OA is, vision is part of OA, but the numbers were coming down. More and more people were going to cyber meetings even then. Now I assume that, the, that, that, that it's whoppingly in favor of cyber meetings, but the, where did 100,000 people go? Well, to be fair, they're not all out there eating ice cream cones or hot dogs at the Red Hot Ranch in Chicago, which isn't there anymore, but they're not all doing that. 
But what they are doing is there's 19, count them 19, according to my friend Kim G, 19 other 12-step programs that deal with food. So we've split the numbers. You've got how and two hours. I'm not criticizing any of these groups. I'm not, there's the 90 days and there's 90 day how and there, there's the stand on your head group and there's the speak uh, pig Latin group. There's all kinds of groups. There's all kinds of, of, of variations of the same theme. There's the Baylor fans and all this other stuff that's going on out there and the people that that are from Chicago, they have their own group and whatever, but I'm crazy today. I'm just, don't listen to me today. I, I got up at about one in the morning and I, I'm, I don't know what happened to me today. I couldn't get back to sleep to save my freaking life. And I think it's affected my mental stability here. But anyway, bottom line is you got a lot of variations on the same theme. You got meetings where you can't chew gum and you can't wear perfume and you can't wear aftershave and you can't, you can't uh, dance with a gorilla and you can't whatever. There's all kinds of meetings out there. And if they work for you, God bless you. God bless you. Namaste. Namaste. I bless you and my soul bows to your soul. I'm a very standard guy. I'm from Devon Avenue in Chicago. We just do things. Did you ever see a show called The Goodbye Girl? The guy says, Richard Dreyfus says, I'm from Chicago. We just do the play according to the way it's written. I'm from Chicago. We just do it according to the way it's written. I'm just an old fashioned guy like that. So anyhow, and I did live in Oregon for nine years ago, ducks. But the bottom line is you got all kinds of variations out there. And the numbers have reflected a lot of that confusion and stuff. We can do better. And the way to do better is for each and every one of us to reach in and see what we can do in the coming year to be a living example of that recovery. And if each and every one of us will look inside ourselves instead of looking at someone else, and we can look inside of ourselves and say, here's how I'm gonna do better then I think that those communities that were so underserved, I think they will catch on and I think everything will elevate. We are all part of the same tapestry. You turn over a tapestry, there's all kinds of knots and string and this and that, but you turn it over and it's very, very beautiful most of the time. And we are part of that tapestry. Yes, there's an underbelly of our pain and there's an underbelly of the things that happened to in our lives that drove us in here. And then you turn it over and you can see the recovery. And that's what we wanna be as part of that tapestry. Let's work a little harder this year on all of our recoveries. And if it's gonna be out, it'll start with me. I'm gonna work harder this year. Let's continue. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program, but great numbers of these, about two of three began to return as time passed. And you see this all the time. I came in in 79, I graduated in 82, and I did stop smoking when I came. Isn't that weird? I came to OA, didn't stop eating very much, but I stopped smoking cigarettes. All my shirts had food stains, ketchup, and mustard and gravy and all kinds of stuff on the front. And they were all burned from the cigarettes. And I had holes in the, in the front of my shirts from where the cigarette ash used to go on the shirts. And I thank God I don't have to live that way anymore. But I returned. I had a beautiful graduation ceremony. They said, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order, please? And it was a very beautiful ceremony. And they gave me a little cap and gown with my Big Mac when I got to the drive through window. It was very nice. Anyway, let's keep going. Don't listen to me today. I'm nuts. Okay. Another reason for the wide acceptance of AA was the ministration of friends, friends in medicine. What's the ministration? What does that mean? They were ministering by spreading the word that this is a good thing. People in medicine, people in the clergy, people in psychology, people in psychiatry, people that were lay people were saying, hey, this is a good thing. Thing. <clears throat> Friends in medicine, religion, and the press, together with innumerable others who became our able and persistent advocates, 
Without such support, AA could have made only the slowest progress. We were aided and abetted when we were doing the right thing. And we were stopped, thank God, when we were just trying to raise money. When you do the right thing, miracles happen. Every day I say to God, when I want something, bless it or block it, bless it or block it. And I ask God, please bless it or block it. Because if I'm going to be the, the decision maker on what I should have or what I should do, or where I should go, it's not going to turn out well. I'd rather God made those decisions than I. I am really not a good steward of my life. Some of the recommendations of AA's early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. And we're going to get to that next week. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization, nor does AA take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as the men of religion. Alcohol being no respecter of persons, we are an accurate cross-section of America and in distant lands, the same democratic evening up process is now going on by personal religious affiliation. We included Catholics, Protestants, and Jews, Hindus, and a sprinkling of Muslims and Buddhists. More than 15% of us are women. Now, obviously that has changed. More than 15% of the people in AA are female. And uh, we have uh, uh, the average age, just if you're wondering, the average age of a member of Alcoholics Anonymous is 33. And the average age of a member of Overeaters Anonymous is 55. We have a much older and much more female demographic. When I came into OA back in 1979, February 2nd, I got dragged to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous I was the only man in that room. And then there were one or two others that would kind of flitter in and flitter out and flitter in and flitter out. But it was mostly females. And it was not mostly in terms of over 50%. It was mostly in terms of 90, 95, 99%. And there were meetings that I regularly attended uh, that I was the only one. I was 15 years younger than any of them. I was 24 when I came in. I'm 67 now. I was 24 when I came into Overeaters Anonymous. And I've been in these rooms, mostly in, sometimes out for, it'll be what, 43 years? 43 years, I think it is. It'll be in February. So that's a long time. And I've seen OA metamorphosize tremendously. And as I say, uh, there's been a lot of wonderful things. OA did not have the kind of beginning that AA had. The people that formed AA were different in this respect. The people that formed AA, whether this is the nature of the addiction or just the nature of the people, the people that formed AA were spiritual in, in uh, were, were, excuse me, were people who respected the spiritual nature of the recovery. The people that formed OA were people who were still trying to bring their dieting skills into the rooms and use willpower. And they would often chew gum between meetings and eat carrots between meetings and celery between meetings. They would eat all day long, a lot of them. And there was a lot of, of speed. There was a lot of amphetamine use in those days to keep the pounds off. Remember that these were gals in Los Angeles who had access to a lot of these doctors who would prescribe, especially in the early 60s. I've told you that in 1963, I was nine years old. Kennedy was killed November 22nd, 63. I had already been on diet pills since that summer. I was already on heavy duty amphetamine in the summer of 63, and I was just nine years old. And then when, when Marilyn Monroe died, a lot of this information on the amphetamines, the danger of the diet pills, started filtering back to the Midwest. So after Marilyn Monroe died, and if you don't know who Marilyn Monroe is, just kill me now, but Google it, Marilyn Monroe, just Google it and you'll find out who she was. It doesn't bear into this, but it, it, I'm just going to kill myself if most of you don't even know who she is. But anyway, the bottom line is um, when I was 10 years old, 
I was put on another amphetamine, not in addition to the first one, but in replacement of same exact results, head spinning around like you didn't know what world you were in and you didn't eat. Oh boy, you did not eat. Well, the only way I can describe it, when you crash down off that amphetamine, I don't know how street drugs are, I've never taken them, but I do know that when you crash down and that's the only word to describe it, I would eat Illinois and most of Wisconsin. You know, every restaurant on Devon Avenue was waving at me to stop in when those when those pills would wear off because they knew they would get a lot of money from me when I was, you know, off the pill. But then you take it again and man, food was the last thing on your mind. But it was it was not it was not a good thing. But our history is a lot of the gals who started OA used amphetamines because all they really knew was they're gonna get together, they're gonna talk about different things, but they just took their willpower and they were transferring it to OA. And what happened is Roseanne, and I'm not taking anything away from Roseanne. She is our founder. She is amazing. I do not want anybody to think I'm bad mouthing Roseanne. I loved Roseanne, I miss her, I think she's great, but she wanted to rewrite the steps and rewrite the book and take God out of there. And, you know, and, and Clancy Immisland and uh, Jimmy, uh, Jim Willis, the founder of GA said to her, Roseanne, let's not mess with what works. And they talked her out of it. But if it wasn't for Clancy and it wasn't for Jim Willis and it wasn't for some other people, we might have a very different history. So they talked her out of changing these steps. She didn't like, she took out all the God references. She took out all that stuff. And thank God that that didn't stick. Thank God that that wasn't what we ended up with. Thank God. Okay. All right, let's let's continue. We're at the bottom of XX. At present, our membership is pyramiding at the rate of about 20% a year. So far, upon the total, so far, upon the total problem of several million actual and potential alcoholics in the world, we have made only a scratch. When you look at the pandemic of obesity. I'm not talking about the pandemic of, of COVID. I'm talking about the pandemic of obesity. You take a look at what is going on in our world today. We should be the biggest of the programs. We should have more members. We should have more people in our rooms, in our meetings, than all the other programs put together. On a worldwide basis, obesity is so rampant that it eclipses alcoholism, drug addiction by wide, wide margins. I'll give you some interesting food for thought. Automobiles have to be redesigned and reimagined for a bigger person. When the original Model A came out by Ford in the 19-teens, it was designed for a man, five foot six, five foot seven, and 150 pounds. That was the design that they had for the Model A. Today, it is designed for someone with much, much more girth, more flesh. They don't design them for men. Women drive cars now and it's very commonplace and that's fine and that's great, but it is designed for a much heavier person. Furniture, clothing, sizes are often bigger. Things are bigger than they've ever been. Why is that? Because people are bigger than they've ever been. People are heavier than they've ever been. Here's a tragic statistic. In 1995, in 1995, a generation of Americans, not outer Mongolians, not whatever, not God knows where, Americans was born in 1995 that have a shorter lifespan than their parents. 
a shorter lifespan than their parents. Why is that? What's the number one cause? The childhood obesity rates and the instances of type two diabetes in children under 12. Obesity is the number one health crisis in America today. Not cancer, not alcoholism, not drug addiction, not AIDS, not COVID, obesity. What is the number one mitigating factor for someone afflicted with COVID? What is the number one factor that will kill you if you get COVID? Morbid obesity. Why? Because it inhibits the body's healing and inhibits already respiration. And COVID is a lung and heart thing and it chokes you off, you die. The number one thing is morbid obesity. More Americans today are classified as morbidly obese than ever before in the history of our world. And what do we have here? A free remedy, a remedy that's proven to work. And it's very, very difficult because food works. It's my best friend, it's my lover, it's my, it's my confidant, my companion. Food takes the edge off. We're going to talk more about that next week when we go to the doctor's opinion. But it's very, very difficult. And medical science is beside themselves. They try developing operations and they try developing all kinds of medications. Now we're at the point now where it's January the 1st. Every commercial you're going to see now for the next month, join the gym, take the pill, go on the diet, get your food sent to you, frozen food, this kind of food, that kind of food, lose weight. What's the largest section at the, uh, at the uh, drugstore? The largest section at the drugstore is the weight loss section. What is one of the largest things and uh, that you can order from Amazon, diet aids, weight loss things, weight loss. They've created cottage industries that prey on us. When I was a little boy, lose weight with AIDS, A-Y-D-S. Lose weight with this, lose weight with that. There's all kinds of products that people will come up with that are supposed to help you lose weight. What they don't have is an accounting for the fact that I have a twist of the mind and I have a physical allergy, which works against me and makes it impossible for me to be successful on the AIDS program, the, the other pro, the pay in ways, all that other stuff. Those things are fantastic for most people. They don't work for people like me. And if you're in this room and you're part of the 130 people that are here, they probably won't work for you either. I know at least two or three of you that were lecturers at one of the leading weight loss places, at least three of you that I know of, or four that I know of that were lecturers at these places and didn't work for you either. It did not work for you because this is a very vicious addiction. And so we should be bigger. We should be bigger. Maybe someday we will be bigger. I don't know. They have some advantage on us too. They have court mandate people. They have nudged by the judge. And they have, when you go for divorce, sometimes these guys got to go to certain AA meetings. But I'll tell you again, this is, this is just me, my opinion. The treatment centers, the eating disorder units, when the insurance companies pulled the funding, we dropped dramatically in our, in our membership. I used to go to meetings in Chicago at Swedish Covenant Hospital at California and Foster. Swedish Covenant Hospital, Martha Washington Hospital, Thorac Hospital, a bunch of hospitals. Most of our meetings in Chicago are at hospitals. Uh, here in Arizona, they have great big hospitals, but not a lot of them. In Chicago, you have some smaller hospitals, but tons of them. And that's where most of our meetings were, Bethesda, Ravenswood, Swedish. But anyway, I would go to meetings where there was 150, 200 people, 100 people, 75 people regularly. Those meetings today, they're either gone or there's 
eight, nine people sitting around because the eating disorder units have dried up. And that's a big factor too. Let's continue. And then we're going to get ready to go into questions and answers. I gave a lot of opinions today. Again, I predicate hopefully by saying, this is my opinion. I've been in these rooms for 42 years. So I've seen a lot of things go and I've seen a lot of things come, but I hope that you will understand that if my opinion is something that you disagree with, please take it with a grain of salt. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm not telling you what to believe. Take what you want and leave the rest. That's my watchword. Take what you want and leave the rest. But for almost half a century, I have been a front row spectator of what has gone on in Overeaters Anonymous. Upon therapy for, alcohol, for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly, yet it is our great hope that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. And this is a wonderful new freedom. This is the, this is the easier, softer way. There is nothing I could have imagined for myself that is as glorious, as loving, as kind, and wonderful as this program. There is nothing I could have imagined for myself. And if somebody would have said to me way back in 1963 or 62 or whatever, I was born in 54. Look, all that crap you're eating one day will help someone else, I would not have believed you. And to a very great extent, I pay a very hefty price for that food that I ate way, way back when. And I'm sorry that I did that to myself. And I wish I could go back in a time machine and undo it. I wish I could go back in a time machine and do a lot of things different. I think we all would, right? But one of the things I wouldn't change Oh, I wouldn't change one, not a word of it, not a day of it, not a loving face of it. I wouldn't change the love and the fellowship and the most magnificent way of life imaginable that I have found in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. It is the most glorious way to live. A God-given rhythm and purpose underlay every day that I'm lucky enough to wake up. I know why I went through it and I know what to do with it. And what I can do with it is to follow what it says in the book that my most horrible pain will be of my maximum asset and be of maximum service to the people, to God and the people about me using the pain, using the rejection, using the fact that I went on my first date with a girl when I was 35 years old, that I never held a girl's hand. I never kissed a girl. I never did any of those things. I was physically and emotionally emasculated by a disease that I didn't cause, I couldn't cure, and I couldn't control. Always apart from rather than a part of, even in the most intimate settings with friends, always different always on the outside looking in, always wondering what measure of strength and willpower were these boys given that they could eat a half a hot dog at the Red Hot Ranch in Chicago on Devon, served up by Isabel Deutsch. Why is it that they could eat half a hot dog and I could not? Why is it that those greasy, lousy fries in that paper bag excited me so much and they didn't excite them. What was it about me that was weak and different? What was it about me that was stupid? And I realized after a long time, I have an illness of the mind and I have an illness of the body that makes me different, but I have a place to go where I am the same. And I have a place to go where there are people who understand I have a place to go where the language of the heart is both spoken and understood. And so do you. You have that place too. You have that place too. And so it is with tremendous, tremendous pride that I say, thank God 
I'm sorry that my road here was so rocky, but I'm saying that to myself and God, but thank God I landed where I landed because what would I do without this group? How would I function without knowing? No, I may be crazy in other areas, but I'm not crazy that there is something different about me and it's not because I'm weak and it's not because I'm stupid and it's not because I lack discipline and it's not because I lack character. And I do care about my mother and I do care about my father. People would say to me, if you cared about your mother, you wouldn't eat that way and get so fat. If you cared about your dad and the horrible nightmare that he went through in Europe, you wouldn't eat that way. And I loved my dad and my mom was crazy, but I loved her too. And the bottom line is I love them, but I had an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. Thank God for Overeaters Anonymous. And I say to you, welcome home. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. All right, we're going to go to questions and answers. But before we take questions and answers, do not assail me with my opinions. They were my opinions and I stated that as best I could. And no math, 